Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I want to say thank you for allowing me to come and worship with you today and as we celebrate Men's Day and Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. And I'm guessing on a normal Sunday you probably got men and women both up here, right? Is that a yes? Well, look, you need to let these guys sing once in a while by themselves, except on once a year, because them guys are good. They're harmonizing. <clears throat> you know, uh, there was a pastor that uh, had a habit of putting a piece of candy or a cough drop in his mouth when he started to speak. And he knew that when he dissolved and it was gone, it was time to finish. And so one Sunday he got started and Two hours later, he figured out he'd put a button in his mouth instead of a piece of candy. I want y'all to know this is peppermint. It's not a, not a button. But I, I told my church, my former church, that story one time. And, and the next Sunday, this little lady came up to me with a little envelope. She said, open this when you get home. It had three buttons in it. She said, you can use these anytime you want to. So I'm not using a button today. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> You know, with your church's involvement, with Steve's involvement, and others in your church, uh, I know you're very aware of a lot of different aspects of what uh, we do through the different ministries of North Carolina Baptist on Missions. So I won't try to cover our, every aspect of those today, and, but to simply say there are a lot of ways that you can be involved. As Steve said, I've been involved for over 30 years it's hard to believe it's really been that long. I just, just figured that out recently because my first time of going anywhere was Hurricane Andrew in South Florida. So I Googled that to see when it was, and I said, oh, yeah, made me feel pretty old. <clears throat> there are lots of disasters that took us over lots of different parts of eastern North Carolina, other parts of the state, and I remembered once there was a wind event here in the Burlington area, and we were... Uh, set up in your kitchen here to I was I was sent down for one day So we didn't spend the night so I drove not too far back to where we live So I think we ended up being here about three days and we appreciate using your facility <clears throat> Disasters have also called us all over the southeastern part of the country as well as other parts and into other places outside the country and um Thinking about Haiti, thinking about Puerto Rico is some of the places we've been fairly close. Disasters come in lots of different ways. Hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, fires, maybe some other ways. <clears throat> and we've also, unfortunately, um, experienced man-made disasters. And we had folks on the ground less than 24 hours after the Pentagon was hit with a terrorist attack. And then later, we also had folks in several different areas serving around Ground Zero in New York. So this morning, I'd like to 
do a couple of things. I'd like to share with you a, a little bit about a recent trip. I was in Ukraine, got back two weeks ago yesterday, and uh, that was, I guess you'd call it a war-related uh, kind of disaster, so to speak. And then I'd like to share with you just uh, uh, a few minutes about a story that we find that Christ shared with us over in Luke. As far as Ukraine, <clears throat> is the is the threat of and the start of uh, their country being invaded, literally millions of people sought to escape the, the eastern part of Ukraine. And they traveled west, some to other countries, some just to other countries and then going to other places. Some come to our country. And <clears throat> the uh, volunteers from our disaster relief group and others started very early in helping out in some other countries like Poland and Hungary and then later in Moldova. And those sites are all working right now, helping to help people transition through to go somewhere else or to stay there in shelters. <clears throat> some of the people that was from the eastern part of the Ukraine, they traveled west and there's nothing going on in western Ukraine as far as any kind of danger, at least not yet. So they just stayed in the western part of their country and that's where we were. In cooperation with the Hungarian Baptist Aid, we worked in a place called Berehofa and I got that little red arrow showing where that is there. It's very, very close to the Hungarian border, less than 10 miles into uh, Ukraine. As I was preparing uh, to go there, I told my mom, I said, uh, I'm going to Hungary, and I just paused, and that's as far as I went. Because I did go to Hungary. I just didn't tell her I was in Ukraine until I got back. <laughs> My wife had to approve me going. I wouldn't have went without her approval. Mostly what we uh, had on our teams while I was there was medical folks, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners. Uh, we even had an ultrasound expert on one of those. Each day we would go out to a different shelter they was housed in, they were called IDPs, internally displaced people. Something I learned was if you're a refugee, you move to another country. But these were internally displaced, so they just stayed within their, their country. Most of these shelters were in kindergarten schools. I found out in Ukraine, they have a separate school for four, five, and six years old, and they call that kindergarten. And then they move on to regular school. All the kindergarten kids were, um, they weren't staying home because of COVID, they were staying home because of the war. And so these were a perfect place to set up as shelters. So a lot of these displaced people would come and, and stay in the kindergarten places. So we, we went to a lot of them. <clears throat> the medical folks would go into the school and they would allow us to have rooms and it would be set up very quickly, kind of like going to the doctor's office. With the help of an interpreter, we, we could see everybody. Usually, we, one site, we would only be there one day. A few times, we would have to go back a second day to see everyone. Most of these were women and children, and uh, most of the, their, the men in the family stayed home to try to look after their homes, or they were in the army. <clears throat> Not only did the people get their physical needs met. There was a time during each visit 
to let them talk about what they've been through. You know, sometimes when somebody's going through a traumatic experience, that could be any of us too, sometimes we just need to have somebody to listen to us, right? And so we had a time for that, just, just to listen, and we always had a, a time that we could uh, pray with them at the end of each visit. We also had the gospel shared many, many times. This uh, uh, Mark here, who's a missions pastor from Winston-Salem, you can't hardly see it, but there's a little tool called an, an evangelicube or something. You, you may be familiar with that, and you can uh, move it kind of like a Rubik's Cube around to, uh, to show different things about the path of salvation. He's sharing with this couple. You can't tell in this picture, but this couple both had uh, a broken left leg in the same area below the knee that they had suffered when the Russians shot their car and either, either in the wreck or a wall that fell on them broke both of their legs. And that was the interesting part to hear their, their story about that. Um, we do know that at least one young man accepted Christ through uh, uh, sharing one of our clinics. And we talked to two different pastors there in town to try to make sure that he was followed up and discipled. I want to show you a, a couple here uh, this is a pastor. His name is Tony and his wife, Tanya. Uh, Tony pastors two churches. He, he pastors a Hungarian-speaking uh, church. And then he also pastors a Roma Gypsy church. They also speak Hungarian. We're so close to the border that some people spoke uh, Hungarian, some people spoke Ukrainian. And I had this false assumption that they were pretty close in languages. They are not. Uh, I got to speak in a couple of churches while I was there. And on, in one event, I spoke in English. A young lady spoke in Ukrainian because the guy speaking Hungarian couldn't understand English. So I spoke with my Stokes County accent English. She repeated it in Ukrainian. The other guy spoke Hungarian and Ukrainian, and he translated into Hungarian. So it was, my part was short, but it kind of got long after you heard it three different ways. But uh, <clears throat> Tony and Tanya were very involved working with the internally displaced people there, and I'd ask you to remember Tony as he's waiting on a liver transplant. His health is not all that good, but he was a great encouragement. And so I pray for uh, that to work out and also for the finances to work out and he will have to travel to Italy to, to have that surgery. Another person to pray for, uh, Tanya here's brother who had a job in Germany and he came home and joined the army and he's serving on the front lines and he's 49 years old. So just think about, you know, being in the military and going in at that age in life. Another project that we worked on was uh, non, there was a few people that was non-medical on our team. And one of the things we did was do some food distribution. A lot of food had been donated and we would take the bulk items. Uh, here you can see some like fresh vegetables and some other things. And we would take those to, to these different shelters, again, which were mostly in kindergarten schools. 
take that food out to the shelters. I got to help Tony do that several times, and that, that was a lot of fun. And, and the kids, they like to help, anything big enough to carry. And also, we put together some food boxes, which were, <coughs> excuse me, went to individual families. Each box would hold about 40 pounds of food, and it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun at the same time. I got to help a lot with that. Um, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. So I, I didn't do much except take uh, prescriptions to, back on the medical side. Tony's wife, Tanya, coordinated this project, and our goal was to put together a 1,000 boxes. And mostly the first week I was there, that's what I helped do. <clears throat> and after the first week, they counted, and we'd done 550 boxes. I thought that we had done at least 5,000 boxes. It was just, it was repetitive to put these things in the box, but she's, she's a general. She would crack the whip, and uh, we, there was uh, some chef-stable salami in, in, in one of the ingredients, and that would be one of the last things that we would put in, and um, I forget what the song is, but I played off of it, and I would say, salami, and Tanya would laugh every time. Another couple I want to share with you, uh, a fairly newlywed couple. They've been married six months. They live very close to Kiev, which if you saw the news, that was one of the early places that was attacked and bombed a lot. And they, <clears throat> they came to help us. They rode a train for 14 hours to get to where we were. And she was an interpreter for us in the, in the medical clinics. And her, her husband, Iliad, which is in... I guess Ukrainian, the word Elijah, he helped us a lot with the, with the food boxes. Uh, he had a great testimony as a former uh, uh, drug addict and really, really is uh, doing his best to serve the Lord now. An interesting thing that happened with this young couple is one night after supper, we were sitting around and they started asking me questions about how to get more people involved to get people involved in serving, to get people involved in, in joining a small group, and how to get involved in missions. And I was pretty excited for a, a young couple to ask me about that. We probably talked for an hour or two. About a week later, one day I was out with the medical team, and, and Alona uh, turned to me and she said, I got a question for you. Could you meet with some people tonight? and talk about some more about what we were talking about last a few nights ago. I said, sure. <clears throat> so um, that night we went over to, to visit and we found out, I found out that the youth pastor from their church that had also come to get away from the war, he and his family was there and they'd met a youth pastor from uh, a local church there in Barahofa and they found some other friends there. And long story short, I gathered around a kitchen table with 10 folks, younger folks. They wouldn't have to be too young to be younger than me, but they was a lot younger than me. But they'd, uh, some of those were displaced by the war. Some of those were local. And they were hungry to, to share ministry with other folks. They, uh, <clears throat> they wanted to, to learn. And I was really excited about that. That was probably the most unplanned, but one of the most rewarding things that I got to be involved with uh, on our trip. It gave me hope that for all that they were going through, they still wanted to improve their own and others serving the Lord. 
So just as we experience here at home with different disasters, there were many different ways that people were ministering there and each in, in lots of different ways there, almost each, we had to be flexible. Just like this morning, you've had to be flexible with uh, your order of service and stuff. <clears throat> um, there are many different ways that we, here's a, a picture of one of the things we did. We had people that worked with the kids. Some of these families, the moms and the children mainly, they've been in these shelters for months. And, and even though they probably had some activities, the kids were kind of bored. So we had people that they did little projects with them. Uh, we did, they had coloring, they did chalk art out on the cement in front and did some other things. But we were very flexible and each and every day was an adventure. Some days we would think we were going to this shelter over here, but things changed and we were over here. And one day we went to a shelter and the, the group Doctors Without Borders, you might have heard of them, they drove in right behind us. And uh, so we had a little confusion, but we were flexible even through that. I'd like to transition just to, for a moment to uh, the story that I want to share with you, a familiar story that Jesus told. And um, the background of this story is that Jesus was asked a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus answered a question with a question, what's written in the law? So we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 27. When Jesus asked his question, the young man gave him this response. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said, you're correct. But the smart young man wanted to clarification. So he asked, who is my neighbor? This question opened the door for Jesus' story about a man. A man was traveling down the road and he was robbed and he was beaten and he was left for dead. There was a priest traveling down that same road and rather than help the hurt man, he walked on the other side of the road to get around the man. Then another man, a Levite or a lawyer, also came down the road and likewise he did the same. He bypassed the hurt man, went on the other side and went on his way. This guy was having a bad, bad day. But then we see in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Again, this may be a very familiar passage to you, a familiar story. You know, Jesus told a lot of stories. I don't know if you ever thought about it like that or not. He was the best storyteller ever. And it's good for us to be able to use stories or illustrations to, to share good things, especially when we're sharing things from God. But there was a significance of why Jesus used a Samaritan in his story. The one person that stopped and took pity on an injured man. It was very significant for those with a Jewish background as, as the Jews considered Samaritans a, a lower class half-breed kind of people. You may remember that the Jews would walk around Samaria 
rather than go. When I go somewhere, I want to go the shortest distance. And the older I get, the more I want to do that. I want to get there quicker. But the Jews would go around Samaria rather than walk through it because they despised them so much. <clears throat> I thought about the way the Samaritans were treated when we worshipped with the, the Roma Gypsy Church because that is a, a people group in that area where we were that are looked down upon by many of those that live there. But here in Jesus' story, the one man, the one man who stopped, the one man who showed compassion to a hurt man was from the people group that the Jews really despised. He took pity on the hurt man. He bandaged him up with what he had to work with. He put him on his donkey. He took him to a, a local inn and took care of him some more. Then he told the innkeeper that was there, said, keep looking after this hurt man. He paid him in advance and said, when I come back by, if I owe you any more, I'll pay you more. So this story of the Good Samaritan also reminds me of, of our disaster relief work. When there's a big disaster as soon as possible, we have a kitchen there. And when I, when I, I know when a, when a disaster is on the horizon, Steve's probably going to call and ask some questions about getting ready. So we'll have a kitchen as soon as possible. Sometimes the kitchen outruns the disaster, and that's a good thing because sometimes the floodwaters won't let you get to where we're going in eastern North Carolina if you wait too long. But we have a kitchen set up as soon as possible. If your community is completely in the dark with no power, just like the excellent example in the children's sermon this morning, we, uh, if you don't have power, you can't cook. You don't have enough candles. So it's good to have that kitchen there, and it's good to have people that can come and put tarps over holes in people's roofs and maybe even get a tree off the top of their house. In a way to me, maybe it's a stretch, but for me it is a really good example of what the Good Samaritan did when he first encountered a hurt man. Taking care of those first important immediate needs. Later we'll have more people to come and help clean up people's yards and get more of the trees out of there and do a better patch up on their roof. And that makes me think of what the Good Samaritan did by taking the man to the inn and getting him a little bit better care. And then lastly, there'll be times when rebuilding of homes happen to help people get back on a permanent basis. That's going on right now in Lumberton and Newburn and then uh, Rose Hill. And it's been going on for the last four years since Hurricane Florence. And in uh, Lumberton, it's been going on for six years because it's been going on all the way back to Hurricane Matthew. This long-term help is very much to me like the Good Samaritan who was willing to stay the course and to make sure that he was cared for. So back to Jesus' story. Remember, his story was told because of a question. Let's look at the last part of verse 29 from Luke 10. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So here's Jesus' answer. After, after he told the Good Samaritan story, let's drop down to verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
So, what is a neighbor? What is a neighbor? There are probably lots of definitions. Probably the first one that would pop into my mind if I hadn't looked at the big picture was, oh, that's who lives next door to me. Our next door neighbors were the sweetest people. The husband passed away last year at 100 years old. He was still mowing and weed eating up till just a few years before he passed away. And then a couple of months ago, his wife, who had since become 100, passed away. Sweet, sweet folks. They were our immediate neighbors. We might think of people that are living in our neighborhood, maybe down your street, maybe in your local community. We may think about those that have went through a hurricane or a tornado, maybe in another part of our state as being a neighbor. We might think about them and we might put together a trailer. Everybody bring some drinking water. We're gonna send it to these neighbors just a few hours down the road. We could go on and on with different examples but anyone that has a need that we can help with is our neighbor. That neighbor could be across our street, it could be across our state, it be, could be across our nation, it could be across the world. Also, there's many times when you or I may be the neighbor that's on the opposite end and we need help. I was in an accident long, almost 30 years ago and we live on a farm. At that time, we had some cows. And the cows had got out of my poorly constructed fence one day. And I was in an accident the next day. And I was in a burn unit for 11 or 12 days. And uh, it was Christmas. See how bad I can make this. It was Christmas. We had a five-year-old, a seven-year-old. My wife was five months pregnant. So that just shows you fast forward through that. But I got my cows up the day they got out and put them in a little catch pen. So for 12 days, they were in a tight constraint. Cows produce fertilizer, if y'all know what I'm saying. It was getting bad. So some neighbors came and fixed my fence and turned the cows out. We didn't ask them to do it. They just, they just did it. I continue to see stories almost daily from Ukraine and from Poland and from Moldova of those that are there helping neighbors they're helping people they had never seen they're helping people that don't speak the same language but yet they can show love and encouragement in this time of need so we each need to consider for ourselves, what part of God's plan to be a good neighbor do we fit into? I'd ask you to, each of you individually, to think about where do you fit in God's plan? Each of you that are gathered, each of us that are gathered here today, you may know exactly a good fit for you, something you really like, something you get turned on about to help people in serving. Or perhaps you have a question to ask yourself that. You may have seen some of the North Carolina Baptists on mission, or I still say Baptist, North Carolina Baptist men sometimes, but I thank the Lord for all the ladies involved in our organization because uh, we couldn't do it. It's probably 40% ladies now. North Carolina Baptist on mission, sometimes you'll see in the literature, it'll say, pray, give, and go. 
So some, some folks can go to places like the Ukraine or some of these other countries. A lot of people can't. You can't physically go. Maybe you can't physically go to eastern North Carolina or even locally to help Steve do another ramp. But we can all pray, and we should all pray for the needs around us, for any and all mission projects. And it may be that you, we can all pray. Let's get that straight, right? 100% of us can pray. And there are others that maybe you can't go, but maybe the Lord has blessed you and you can give towards a mission project, whether it's supplies needed in Europe, Eastern Europe, or supplies needed somewhere else on another disaster or something that's going on right here. Maybe you'd like to help out locally, but you're just not able to go out and drive nails or uh, use a screw gun or anything like that. Maybe that's not your gift, but maybe you and maybe some other friends could prepare a lunch, prepare a snack, prepare some water for those that are out working on a project. There are so many different ways that we could all be involved. If you haven't found your place to serve, pray for the Lord to guide you in what he has planned for you. I am positive that he has somewhere that each of us can be in service to him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a, by works, so that no one can boast. I want to share that scripture today because I want to make sure that we are on the same page. The scripture lets us know that all the work, all the missions and different things we could serve in, any and everything you could do in another part of the state, world, or right here in your church, in your community, None of those things are what saves us. It is only by the grace of God as we put our faith in him and accept his gift of salvation that we are saved. But after that, after we accept him, uh, and a lot of times you see these verses, use, people use them as standalone, but look at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. One translation says, we are God's masterpiece, and I love that. We are God's handiwork or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. You were created to do good works. God has planned it. He has prepared it in advance for you to do what he lays on your heart. Again, some, some folks are excited about doing different things. Uh, when I was in school, I was a, one summer I was a dishwasher at a, at a camp, and I washed dishes all summer. My, I wash dishes sometimes, but my wife does most of them. I don't get turned on by washing dishes, okay? <laughs> But there's things that God, I think he touches our, our spirit and, and helps us to be excited about doing different things. Some folks like to go out with disaster and cook meals. They wouldn't touch a chainsaw. Other people wouldn't go cook, but they'd love to run a chainsaw. So God 
He's created us all to do different things. So whatever he touches your heart about, you need to follow that up. And I hope you already are. A word that I wanted to share with you today that we hadn't got to yet is the word compassion. This is something in the day that we live today, we live in a crazy world, y'all. If you had not figured that out, don't turn on the news tonight because the first five minutes is going to be bad. But we need some compassion in the world that we live in today. And we find our greatest source of compassion from the Lord. And we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive, we ourselves receive from God. I mentioned earlier about being an accident. I won't bore you with more details of that other than to say that I was burned uh, over 25% of my body and with uh, burning liquid sulfur, which was a real bad day for me, but uh, I survived and everything works. But what I found out after recovering from that was I could really relate to somebody who got burnt. Our daughter went through leukemia uh, seven years ago while she was pregnant with a kind of leukemia that they didn't have any record of that type of leukemia of a pregnancy. And she's cancer-free today. And we got a beautiful six-year-old grandson that, that uh, was in the womb during her chemo treatments. Well, guess what? Our daughter, Gabby, she relates a lot to, especially ladies going through cancer, especially uh, there's more pregnant pregnancies that's intertwined with with that than than you think. But she's that, through the thing, bad things that happened to her and to myself, we've been able to to really speak to people that went through the similar circumstances. So even as we receive God's loving compassion, we in turn in times of trouble can can share the same comfort that we receive from God. And it don't have to be that extreme. It don't have to be that extreme. If you're here today and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a relationship with Christ, that you are a Christian, that you have the same love in your heart that Jesus was referring to in his story, real, true love, the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. This story, or parable as some would call it, of the Good Samaritan, is a beautiful picture of loving our neighbor as ourself. Without regard to what part of town they're from, no matter what uh, the person, if the person looks like us or not, or speaks the same language, or has some kind of weird custom or, or habits, or a terrible country accent like me, we're all to treat our neighbors with compassion. This is also a beautiful picture of the kindness and patience and love that our Lord has towards sinful mankind. See, we were like this poor, distressed traveler. And our enemy, Satan, the devil, that enemy's robbed us, he's beaten us, he's wounded us, and he's kept true joy from us. But from the great compassion that from Jesus is showered down on us by giving of himself the greatest of gifts as he gave his life, as he gave his life in payment for our sins. And he did that willingly, even while we were in the depths of sin. 
Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you, for me, for all of us. He has shown us mercy. He has bandaged us up. He has given us all we need to be truly healed. We just need to accept his gift, accept his forgiveness. Probably the most familiar verse that we'll close with today, the most familiar verse that we can find in the word of God from John 3, 16, tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if you've never expected his gift, I'd ask you to consider letting the Lord bandage your wounds that you may be carrying with you today. Just open your heart and ask him to come in. Uh, I'm sure that uh, when Pastor Mark recovers, and let's continue to pray for him that he can help you with any uh, questions. Brother Dale, I'll be around after the service too if I can help you in any way. And for all of us, each and every one of us, may we use our many and varied talents that God has given to us to be the neighbor that we need to be to whoever God directs us to across the street or across the world. God bless you and thank you for allowing us to be with you today. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.